going to have a conversation here that I think makes a lot of sense. And uh, I think it's a good idea. It's happening in some respects, but we could see it expand. You no doubt remember a few years back um, when defund the police became a big thing. Remember that? It's a really, really bad slogan, in my opinion. It's just, it's a, it, it it's a, among all the slogans in the history of my life, that one could be the worst because the general concept behind it isn't all bad. And we've had police chiefs and police officers on this show saying, you know what? There's a lot of stuff that police officers do that they don't really want to do. They don't say they don't, it's not policing, right? They're dealing with a lot of things that, they didn't get into the game to do. It's not police work, right? Um, it's social agencies and, and all the rest of that stuff. They'd be more than happy to hand that off to some other agency or to partner with other groups and professions. You know, sort of changing the scope of what we consider to be policing is a better way of looking at it. But, you know, that that's not a great slogan. So we got defund the police, which just alienated a large segment of the population. But like I say, the concept at its core isn't a bad idea. Now, though, we've got a refund the police conversation happening, uh, including in Edmonton and Calgary, where more money is being directed into law enforcement because we're struggling with some pretty serious issues that, again, in many cases, don't go back to policing. So this is part of the issue. But let's get back to that partnership piece, because maybe we can make some improvements there. Our next guest highlighting a potential partnership between police and academia, okay, getting involved with that world uh, and how it would benefit both disciplines and i think it would and in the end that benefits all of us let's speak with zoe hilton now who is a professor temerity faculty of medicine medicine at the university of toronto zoe thank you so much for being here today i appreciate it good morning jay thank you for having me we really are talking about two different worlds here right and i'm sure there's lots of studies that have been done on policing but there's, is there a lot of intersection between policing and academia, or do they sort of operate independently of each other for the most part? I think there's been a lot of intersection between policing and academia. Um, I think there's a growing uh, sense of the need for intersecting and for building relationships, and I see growing relationships as well between myself and my colleagues in academia and a number of policing organizations across Canada. What do you see as the advantages for academia? Let's say they get together, they partner with police to work on some of these things. What do they gain through that partnership? Oh, there's lots that researchers gain from working with policing organizations. Uh, For some things, a lot of the research questions that we have, we need access to you know some of that that those large data sets and those very um, sensitive data sets that uh, policing organizations uh, maintain and um, unless we establish a relationship with policing organizations and go through you know the the relationship building and of course the uh, the security reviews that academics have to go through to work with police unless we go through those things um, we're not going to have access really to the crux of the information that we need to be able to say what is going on how well is it working and so on and also if we have uh, you know, if, if we see a need for policing to change or to take on new roles or new methods, you know, if, if we're working with police organizations um, who are participating in designing studies 
and looking through the findings together, then those organizations are going to be more ready to, to, to acknowledge the need for change and maybe to adopt new practices that we can show have positive effect. Well, you, it's the credibility piece, right? You've got data now. Mm-hmm. You've got evidence that you mm-hmm. can cite. So everybody, there's a, there's a, a sense of legitimacy that not only academia, but the police themselves also acquire through this kind of work. Yes, and I would agree that, you know, especially in, you know, today's political atmosphere, that uh, policing organizations are looking for that, too. They're looking to build the trust with the public. They're looking to show the legitimacy of the work that they are doing, and they can uh, get some of that through uh, the, through a relationship uh, with academia as well. Yeah, no no question. Uh, you mentioned that these partnerships are starting to uh, grow, and we're seeing more of them. Uh, one of the areas where it's been happening for quite a while, including um, in our province uh, in, uh, with the Edmonton Police Service, is intimate partner violence, right? There's been some work done in that area. How has that partnership worked specifically in that area? Um, I would say... Intimate partner violence is one of the areas that has really seen the benefits of police academic partnerships over decades, right from the beginning when policing organizations were first starting to look into making arrests in cases of domestic violence, which was not done for a long time. And there was a lot of questions about whether this was the right thing to do. And working with researchers, looking at the effectiveness of arrests helped uh, help answer some of those questions and help uh, bring the the presumptive arrest policies into play that we would see nowadays. Um, one of the other areas you talk about in the piece that you recently wrote is coercive control, which is mm-hmm. it's sort of in the same realm, uh, but there is a difference. First of all, tell us what coercive control is. Mm-hmm. So coercive control is often sort of as those non-physically violent but still abusive uh, acts that somebody can inflict on their partner. Um, it typically involves repeated and systematic acts that can include isolation of the partner, intimidation of the partner, and violation of the partner, not just physically, but but mentally, emotionally, um, and so on. And over time, coercive control undermines the partner's ability to trust their own sense of what's happening. Um, it can trap them in the abusive relationship. Um, when people first started using the term coercive control and applying it to intimate partner abuse, they said this is like being a prisoner of war or being a victim of a hostage taking. It's so difficult physically and mentally for the person to to be able to escape that relationship. In terms of how the police partnership works, this is a tricky one because in some ways there's cultural um, differences, uh, what's illegal, what's le- I mean, there's some really gray area around this coercive control issue, isn't there? Um, there is, it's, it's not currently uh, a specific offense in Canada. Yeah. But, uh, Bill C-332 is, is, uh, is proposing that. And in other countries, uh, coercive control has been made uh, a criminal offense. And where you see this happening, you see some of the difficulties that are arising in terms of even 
for police officers being able to 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 see what's going on, to identify coercive control, and then to be able to to take action. Uh, it's a very uh, challenging situation. It's very difficult to define and get hold yeah, of. Yeah. You know, our police officers are trained to to go into an incident, deal with an incident effectively, uh, bring the domestic violence, help bring the uh, the, the the victims to uh, a place of safety, and, and and this kind of thing. When they're asked to look at a pattern of behavior over time that's even difficult for the abused partner to uh, to see they just know how it makes them feel that's a very difficult situation to put an officer into now i'm not saying that we shouldn't necessarily go down this route of course yeah um but what i do support is uh you know the need for um those police academic partnerships to help look into things like how do how do officers investigate coercive control and and what should the training be and how can we be effective here as well as being you know not just effective but also fair when uh, when this kind of uh, policy or legislation is introduced um uh, before i let you go i did want to ask you about um the partnerships that have worked and like you say uh in the piece the edmonton police service one of the police agencies uh-huh. that has been involved how has it gone um has it has it worked well and do you anticipate that it may pave the way for more in the future Oh, absolutely. I've had the uh, privilege and the pleasure of working in a partnership uh, with Edmonton Police Service in the past, and they're part of my current partnerships and working with other police services and um, researchers, uh, including uh, Dr. Sunny Jung at McEwen and other researchers across Canada. And in my experience, um, The Edmonton Police Service, uh, like other organizations, they are really open to working with researchers. They're really working on um, developing these relationships, and they want that research skill and expertise uh, through these partnerships to be able to uh, ensure that they're doing the best job that they can, and if not, where to improve. It makes so much sense. Uh, Zoe, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate you being here.